you are listening to the Veterinary Kaleidoscope podcast. We just want to take a moment to say thank you to our platinum partners, Green Cross Vets and Covetris ProVet Australia, whose support helps to make the podcast happen. So, without further ado, let's get into the next episode of TVK. And thank you for tuning in again to the Veterinary Kaleidoscope. My name is Kate Toyer. I am a veterinarian in clinical practice in Batemans Bay, New South Wales, and I am a trans woman. And I'm Cam Raw. I am a vet researcher teacher based in Melbourne. Lovely. And this this episode, we're very excited to have our first international guest, I think, isn't it, Cam? Mm. Sort of, uh, yeah. I think it is, yeah. Um, uh, so very exciting. Very exciting. So uh, I would like to introduce Soraya uh, from the World Small Animal Veterinary Association. Uh, and I would like to hand over to you, Soraya, to uh, let the listeners know a little bit more about yourself. Hi, and so happy to have a chance to be on your famous podcast. Um, my name is Syria Chungamrai, so I usually skip the last name because it's quite long and difficult for people to pronounce. I come from Bangkok, Thailand, and I'm currently the World Small Animal Veterinary Association president. I'd like to say that, well, this is probably the first time it was an, an Asian and also a woman and dare I say, also a lesbian. So it's a little bit unconventional, but I'm so happy to have the chance to talk today. Yeah, that's a that's a lot of things, a lot of intersection in there, isn't it? <laughs> it's <laughs> awesome. Lots of groundbreaking yeah. there, Soraya, that's for sure. Let's dive into how uh, your, a bit about your working career and how you ended up becoming Wasava president. All right. I um I think that my childhood story will resonate so much with all the people that like uh that are vets now. Um I never wanted to be anything but an animal doctor. Somehow saving animals felt like saving the world to me. And I grew up with the feeling that the world is unfair. Even in my childhood, I had I had friends in I grew up in the states, I had friends who were uh, black African-Americans, and this was like six, seven-year-old kids playing around, and the amount of um, animosity that was shown to that kid was incredible. So I kept on coming home, crying to my mom, saying, hey, the world is so unfair. And what she said was, the world is not fair. You just have to make it fair. So that was my first lesson in equity. I... I feel that there a lot of things taught me when I was young because, and that was probably why these um, these injustices are very um, important to me. After vet school, I did get um, a scholarship to study. Well, I, I graduated in Thailand, and after vet school, I got a scholarship to study for my PhD at Cornell, and this is. This is an incredible opportunity, and it only happened because Professor Leonard Krupp 
from the other side of the world really felt that he wanted to give an underdog that is he thinks is worthy that chance. So I, I knew that that's what we should strive to also do to always be that inclusive and give people chances. So after that, I came home to start um, practice. Gosh, this is like 30 years ago. And um, so my practice was basically um, a mixed practice, but I, I'm, I'm an equine surgeon. Okay. That was in Thailand? Yes, that's in Thailand. So it was the first equine hospital in Thailand. Wow. Uh, first doing this, first doing that type of thing. So that was kind of very challenging, but a lot of fun. Wow. That's quite, uh, that's quite amazing. And I'm sort of really, your statement from your, that you remember from your mum reminds me a little bit of a, a quote from a TV show Pose, which is uh, like, it's, you know, the world doesn't change. People change it. How you often. asked me a little bit about the, um, the WSAVA yeah. and um and actually I became I it, it was the same kind of mentality because I kept on feeling I work with associations I work with the veterinary practitioners association of Thailand and so I know how important it is to have a community so you can develop but that same thought came to my mind about oh it's so um, not inclusive when I saw WSABA and I say, how can they call themselves world this and that if they have no representation from Asia, no one on the board is a woman. And, you know, but, but when I joined, um, what I really found was this is just a bunch of really good hearted vets that volunteer and they want to do something good for the profession in the best way that they thought possible. So I felt that encouraged to, you know, why don't, uh, you stop sitting in the bleachers, come down, get your hands dirty. And it was a wild ride. So I'm very happy that I had that opportunity. Wow. So you're president of Wasabi. You went, you graduated from University in Thailand, went to the US. Uh, did you feel accepted when you went to the US? Well, I think that in every culture and every society, there is always that element that you need to fit in and um, there is always also a little bit of that, um, some obstacles you always have to cross over. I didn't, I felt that the, it, there wasn't anything that was major or dramatic, uh, probably because I was in such a, a forward thinking community. Um, Cornell is in Ithaca and that's probably the most liberal, mm. the most forward thinking place to be, but it, it fostered growth. And I, I do think that we should be mindful of that, of what kind of ecosystem or kind of environment that we create if we want to foster growth for the young generation or anyone that's working with us. Good. Mm. Uh, I think I, I, we'd like to get into that um, concept of ecosystem and and how that's uh how that's important perhaps a little bit later but we might try and explore that intersectionality a little bit more i think sort of here if that's okay uh Soraya. so you you're the first asian the first female and the first lesbian wasafa person um how did did you have do you have a coming out story did you how did you find 
your colleagues at work, sort of uh, employees, sort of, uh, and then Wasava colleagues, uh, how did they go with uh, your being LGBT and sort of, uh, and also <laughs> sort of Asian and, uh, yeah. I guess, I guess that um, this is very interesting to me on coming out because my answer is going to be very tame. Um it probably is because right now I'm reflecting from a much more mature age um, with a calmer perspective. And, but at any rate, I, I never really, really felt the impact of coming out per se. I was much more intrigued with the journey to self-discovery and finding internal balance growing up. And I don't think that I'm different from many people who seek relationships that contribute to your mental and spiritual growth in different stages in life. And if we allow for our expansion, you know, just to really unfold naturally, there will be non-conforming moments, which is fine with me. But the important thing is that my parents never told me how to live my life. So I'm deeply grateful for that quiet, steady support that they had in all my life choices. So it never came to a point that I had to declare who I was, my preference, or defend my point of view. Mm -hmm. um, another thing is probably Thai culture is also very soft and gentle. Mm -hmm. And I've seen less violent opposition to gays and lesbians than in other parts of the world. Not saying that there is none, but I haven't personally experienced that. Um, I probably was oblivious to any discrimination if there were any, but of course, if social acceptance is really high on your list, then it would be a major battlefield, but that battlefield's within ourselves. And and then I, I also had um, the opportunity to meet my life partner right now. Um, she's my best friend and she is Cambodian. She grew up in France because she had her family had to flee the war. I can't speak to her, for her, but I do feel that we help each other find that inner balance. So however the outside world rattles you, think of a glass of water with some sediment and another one without. You shake the first glass and it will become murky. You shake the second glass and it always remains clear. So it's not the force of the outside shaking you, but it's the clarity within so I, I think that that, well, I say that now because I'm 61 <laughs> and I can say these things. But um, but in hindsight, it probably would have, this kind of perspective might have saved me a lot of unnecessary battles. And that is a incredible perspective. I must admit, mm. I, didn't, I didn't think, Cam, we'd actually have a spiritual podcast <laughs> sort of, yeah, um, sort of uh, it is it is amazing and I, I think it, certainly the reflect the reflection I uh, definitely can connect and empathize and sort of very much connect with a lot of things you're saying Soraya myself and Tara uh you've met Tara Soraya um uh, Cam you've met Tara over sort of Zoom sort of thing. We're not met in oh, – met, we've met in person once, actually. Yes, we met in person, yeah. Mm. Yeah, you know, Canberra. Um, but I you're, think – You're very courageous. I really feel that way. Uh, look, I think it's sort of the – Tara, much like 
what it sounds like with your partner and sort of uh, I do agree like that seeking of clarity internally um and I think I had a lot of sediment for a long time um until I could work out how to integrate that into into my into myself so that there wasn't that sediment there so the shaking from the outside was less less sort of trauma and change so to speak totally get that i got that yeah when i i what as we're talking about all these things that shake you from outside um and and i guess it's true i used to feel that the the world is like a battlefield mm-hmm. and um but my battlefield um was more rampant uh what did i say was more in rampant gender bias yeah as a yeah. woman as a woman yeah. Yeah. i was confronted constantly constantly every day up even up to now and this nonsense drives me nuts mm. let's explore that more because i i think it's a challenging thing and um i've uh, also seen some of that gender bias like which is a very curious thing when you've benefited from the gender bias and then sort of uh, mm. like you've actually had privilege from that gender bias uh mm. and then you sort of encounter situations where you go hang on i used to have privilege here like this is weird and bizarre um wow. uh, sort of uh, and very i think enlightening and also sort of like uh, um cause for some self-reflection on um wow that's okay. too amazing your your story on that would be incredible I, I sort of uh I think sort of it's 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 an interesting situation and still one I think that sort of very much I still explore like I, I there's still times where I I think mm. I muff up like in that sort of that gender bias sort of sense but um I do think sort of uh my perception and sort of uh, uh is that there is still a marked gender bias um uh, within our profession um uh, and and i think that despite all of the you know everyone sort of going oh but all look at all the women vets and look at all this and all that and yes and there are some amazing women like yourself Soraya, who've done some incredible who are and are doing incredible stuff but there's still a a, a, a like a fair bit of bias is that something that you sort of see as well like sort of yes absolutely i um I'm going not going to snitch on anybody but but what I would say is that when I well it I started getting understanding that this is going to be the majority of things that I would be confronting when I started my professional career as an equine surgeon. So my secret's out. I'm president of the World Small Animal Vet Association but I'm oh, actually an equine surgeon. Nice. Um, <laughs> But imagine that. Imagine 30 years um, ago pioneering this in Thailand in a male-dominated mm-hmm. industry. Mm-hmm. Being tough, yeah, it's, well, no, I don't know if it's incredible, but. I, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, look, honestly, we're both, we're sitting here in awe, like, sort of, like, that's mm. that's amazing. Like, sort of, seriously, I like, we went through what, I mean, they're still there, aren't they, Cam? Like the sort of the those male egos in equine, particularly equine surgery, also yes. small animal surgery. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's the epitome 
of, of all of that. But um, I, but being tough and overcoming prejudice is um, is part of that whole scenario. It's and I I would do that only because I believe that we stand for animal welfare and um, we have to protect horses. So you're thinking about uh, another victim rather than thinking of you as a victim. So I I didn't care what happened to me. I was a bulldozer. But when I started working with professional communities in various cultures, in associations, with um, academia, and finally representing high positions in in associations, this bulldozing strategy would never work. It required yeah. something different. And yeah. um, well, gender bias in and outside meeting rooms and conference calls truly, truly gets on my nerves. And I wanted to quit a million times. But many years ago, when I was honorary secretary of WSABA, at that time, a young female vet in China approached me. And then she asked, when are you going to become the next WSABA president? And how she said also that she was so proud and um, to see an aged female in this position made me know instantly that this whole ride has nothing to do with me. And when it happened again in Nepal and again in Ghana, it made me then realize that I represent possibility. That's, that became very apparent to me. So hopefully today, we, we, we the three of us, are also representing a certain possibility. Yeah, that's, that's just sort of uh, incredible. I think that that affirmation from uh people sort of going you're a role model to me is certainly incredibly empowering uh definitely something i felt um i'm guessing it's probably something you've sort of had at times as well cam yeah it's um i i don't know i don't know that i'll ever be comfortable with mm. feeling like a role model but um certainly as syria mentioned you know there have been times where i've felt like giving things up and then there will be somebody who will come along and and remind you and it's really important to have those reminders i think and I, and I don't think you have to be you don't have to be strong all the time to be a role mm. model either like so if you you can sometimes be vulnerable and can sometimes just go you know i tell you what that's sort of there are times I find being a role model challenging as well. Like I'm not going to lie. Um, is that something that you've sort of uh, experienced, Soraya, or although you've sort of uh, <laughs> um, the balance? I, I was hoping that no one would ever say that I was. A, well, people do say that I'm the role model and all that, but you know, it's you're you will let people down if they mm. always put you on that it's level. But if they, mm. it's a challenge. Um, there are a lot of the things that I listen to constantly to make me know that it's all right. Imperfection is all right. I So I have these internal, like I said, internal battles all the time. And um, that a lot of culture, uh, exposure to many different cultures. I, because I love traveling and I, I love the community that we, we live in, um, veterinary profession especially. 
And then, therefore, I learned a lot from the different philosophies of, of cultures. And I think it was in Japan that I learned the term wabi-sabi, which is essentially embracing imperfection. So you can actually wow. see some of their vases are look like they're broken glasses. Actually, that's where it started. It was broken and they, they were put together with gold or something that an element that made them, you could see the cracks and it became beautiful. And I thought, what a beautiful concept. So I kept on remembering that. We have to be kind to ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. We have to be kind to ourselves. And we're we're a professional perfectionist. Like it's literally it's it's ingrained in us. And part to a certain extent it's part of the reason why I think we do get attracted to because we're sort of we're trying to perfect and trying to fix the incorrection the fix the sort of problems. Sometimes though it's like you say, sometimes the problem, you know, once you actually review the problem or put it together a different way sometimes yeah, it's a it more becomes, beautiful than exactly than it was to start with mm. i um i used to have a very combative nature and when i saw that injustice or things that i didn't feel were right i would always be on out there um aggressive and um and and then it usually didn't, you, you you couldn't go very far and it wouldn't be sustainable. You really need that enrollment of people seeing the same point of view and then bringing it forward because nobody wants to be said that they're wrong and you're right and all that type of stuff. So it's a, it's a way that we probably have to learn to find that collaboration in the differences, in our differences. Wow. I've got 11 years to try and get somewhere vaguely close to your level of um, uh, <laughs> enlightenment. <laughs> Sorry, I sound I sound kind of ethereal. And, uh, like I said, it's the age. That's but, delightful. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it is absolutely beautiful. It's it's gorgeous, and I, and I think it's uh yeah, like I I'm genuinely absolutely in awe. So you know, you're you you guys are um uh from Australia and doing all of this from where you live. And um, part of the things that Australians have shown or been very kind and embracing to a lot of other cultures, especially how you helped with um, vet professions in the region grow, that always touches my heart. I talk a lot about Asian culture, but you know what? Any culture has that these positive aspects, and when you really bring it out, it's it's the way that we could strive and grow together. So I I'm very grateful. I don't I don't feel like we deserve gratefulness, but thank you. That is exactly that's exactly Australian. Very humble <laughs> and well, this is the way I do it. So I don't really know that if it's the right way, but this uh, and it works. So why don't you take this on and. I'll give it to you for free. It's almost like that. Uh, I love it. I love that we can sort of, I love the idea of growing together. I think it's, I think it's beautiful. I really do. Just before we move off gender and actually move into, because I, I still, I really want to explore the concept of diversity and, and diverse ecosystem and how that's not just about sort of, you know, the scientific biology and sort of, how we can sort of open that up more. 
But before we go there, I would like to talk about the Gender Identity Bill of Rights in the veterinary workplace, the global version. Um, uh, so the global Gender Identity Bill of Rights in the veterinary workplace, because this was a this was a big deal. Like it's, uh, I was one of the reviewers on the original Gender Identity Bill of Rights, sort of uh, from Pride VMC. Um, uh, I was one of the reviewers that they sent it to to sort of have a look at, and uh, and I don't. I think I've sort of, uh, I can't remember if I told you this, Raya, but uh, I can tell you that literally I have had at least half a dozen of those rights contravened by our profession, sort of uh, mm. either deliberately or inadvertently. Mm. Uh, and so I saw it and uh, I saw it to start with and immediately I was like, oh, my God, this is absolutely what we needed. Equally, I was like, how are we going to get people to see and understand wow. why this is so important and within the context of a world sort of veterinary organisation where there are a lot of cultural differences. Like I, I'm sort of coming at it from this a very Western perspective, very, very Western perspective. I'm not going to lie. Like I, I come from a very Western perspective on this and to me it's obvious, to my wife it's obvious, it's sort of, uh, you know, and but I'd really like to hear how how you reacted when you first saw the Gender Identity Bill of Rights in the veterinary workplace um, uh, mm. sort of, uh, and then uh, how you took that and then said, this is something that we need to do because Wasava signing onto that was a huge deal. Like it was definitely mm. a huge deal for me, um, uh, sort of far more important even than the multiplicity of organisations in the US that had signed on, where, where it's mm -hmm. just sort of like, again, it's Western culture, like they should be signing on, no offence. So please. Right. Okay. I, um, I'm i really glad that you brought up uh, that you're talking about the global version mm -hmm. because um, it that is the version that took out specific references that were US-centric and replaced some words to be relevant to our global membership because uh, we cannot endorse, sign, or support anything that would not be relevant to our membership. And um, Pride BMC CEO and their legal team presented us with this, well, I felt it was an amazing opportunity. But as I said, if it's not altered in some way to become globally relevant, then we can't. And they painstakingly worked with our requests. So when you refer to this, um, I'm glad that you, you're talking about the global version. With regards to the cultural values, um, the most important would be that, well, Wasaba core values. And I'll allude to that as well as our advocacy statement. Um, our playful tagline reads, celebrate our diversity in a way that unites and empowers our community to enable positive changes in the world. Wow. Because we're world small animal, we're global. We have cultural difference. We have it's where we are and have to be become that diversity. And and for this to to sign or not to me, I I was I felt it's a done deal. It's a no brainer as long as they change some words. Um, and I was honestly a bit shocked that we even had to discuss it at the board level because there are differences in opinions. 
But it finally boiled down to a very important argument that one of our board men members summed it up with a final statement. This is not an LGBTQI issue. It is a human rights issue. Not to sign this would be a discriminatory act. Wow. How great I feel so proud she gave me goosebumps. Just to ensure that this is something that it's not just because of me. Um, our, I, I also want to quote our incoming president, Dr. Ellen Van Nero. And she said that, and this was written, that our tagline supports diversity and our values include integrity and inclusion. Our strategic plan envisions finding strategic partners to enhance our values and our final advocacy document states that we want to advance issues that we deem to be important, including those having to do with the social aspects of the veterinary profession, respecting diversity and inclusion. Signing this is completely within the lines of our values, strategy and advocacy goals. We should not be held back by the beliefs of some of our members. We need to lead them forwards to a world where each individual is, is respected for their talents and what they bring rather than depending on what or who they are, end quote. I couldn't have said that better and that's why I'm just quoting her verbatim. <laughs> it's it's an amazing quote. And, I, and you're right, the Wasava values that core value that absolute thing of what wasava's about yeah it's about diversity and i think that's what well i i feel like that's what we try and instill in tvk as well isn't it cam that it's just mm. this isn't just it's not just lgbt it's not just sort of for racial diversity it's not just physical diversity or neurodiversity it is everything and you can, I think you can embrace everything and still, and sometimes and there will be sort of challenges uh, sort of uh, and times when you go, okay, uh, I'm struggling to understand some of that, but I think it's a matter of having an open heart and an open mind to actually be willing to uh, listen uh, from a place of, of a willingness to learn. Uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Very good. Well said. I would like to thank also, and I'm sorry, my apologies, I've forgotten the name of the incoming president. Um, Ellen, Ellen, Ellen Van Nero. Uh, I would like to thank Ellen as well for that quote because that is just an incredible quote as well. And and clearly there is a culture within Wasaba and that's a beautiful culture of inclusiveness. Uh, and, and, I, and I think that that's sort of something that we like to strive. And I think occasionally in Australia, we, as much as we, we sort of do inclusiveness by default without actually doing it actively. I think sometimes we could probably do it actively a little bit better. Yeah, we can always move towards, I suppose, the things that we do need to think about and do actively just by by the act of actively doing it, it will hopefully ultimately become a subconscious thing where those things we don't really have to think about it anymore because it will just be a, a commonplace thing. Yeah. Mm. You can't not. It's not about no. um, well-being. It's not even about feeling comfortable. It's about survival, it's, really, it's, if you think about mm. the future. Totally. Mm. Like sort of we, we, 
And we must be active. Well, I feel that we must be active about this because we can't, we've had however many hundreds of years of having it by leaving it to default. And Mm. the default has been that the privileged and the powerful have created sort of an environment that suits them and doesn't change and doesn't, is hostile to diversity at times, uh, mm. I think, sort of uh, realistically. And, it, and I think that fits in well with your sort of what you were saying about survival. Yes, right. Mm. Um, I, um, I strongly believe in this because um, this is what even nature is teaching us. Diversity to me has much more meaning than to be accepted, safe or bound. And like I said, it's about survival. The most robust ecosystem for survival is always one with diversity. And you can think about this, what you see in nature, biodiversity, which is nature's great lesson to us that if we don't respect diversity as part of our balance, it is indeed destroying our planet. And I'm it's not about your politics, it's not about a greenie or a tree hugger or something like that. We really, really are talking about what you could see, genetic biodiversity, um, both fauna and flora. It's very important. I I work with um, the preservation of the Thai pony breed, which has genetic diversity that is incredible. It's a natural breed. And I know how they could survive those centuries and still be present today because of that. So I... The whole thing about this is that when you when you look at it is diversity creates an ecosystem and that fosters creativity and it helps bring together different perspectives, ideas, voices and to produce, you know, the way going forward, unique ideas, unique output, all that energy, that strategy and humans were born to create and creating together as a society is how we grow and survive as a species. So if we continuously um, in our everyday lives, in our policy makers, in our law, in our systems, keep on nudging people out, just being exclusive, it's this is no way to survive. We're, we're just creating an ecosystem nobody could live in. And no wonder they're trying to find a place in the, on another planet or another <laughs> system. I don't know. So this is how I, I really, I really strongly believe. And I, and that's what I was thinking also about what we need to do for our future. Mm. What do you, how do you say to, what do you say to people who say, but diversity is so, it's so chaotic. It's so uh, uncontrollable. It, It creates, it brings up so many, I don't know, What's going to happen with sort of, uh, you know, if I bring in versus, you know, I all, like I've got my little world and I can control it. Sort yes. of, uh, you know, how do you, I'd love to hear how you sort of feel about that. And I'm making this question up. I'm sorry. You've not sort of. It's okay. Eastern philosophy is going to come out. Mm, <laughs> it's almost uh, like Confucius who wants law and order and everything should be such and the customs are like this and Lao Tzu who is just the way so in reality um, life is like that it unfolds 
in every which way, every which direction. We, if we really seek permanence, and I mean that that is the root of of how we how we would be so distressed, disenchanted, and you know we would. It's it's not a way to live because it, everything that is changing and different and chaotic is so exciting um, because that is the total field of possibility. You can you can create so many things on a blank space and and just go into um, nature and the woods that that survived uh, for many many years, hundreds of years or centuries you'd see that the way that they grow, Mother Nature didn't plant them in rows and not just one kind of tree and another kind, but it's all ingrown and this is up there and you know, it's all over the place. And that's that's why it, it could survive. So what if we're messy? So what if we're chaotic? It's kind of fun. <laughs> I think that the young generation, the generation coming up, is more embracing of that than, than the generation before would be. And just the things that have happened in these recent past, and I'm even talking before COVID, um, the, the entire um, digital revolution, it had, it created a lot of disruptions. And while people were so concerned that oh my God, uh, it's disrupting our lives, my business, my this, my that. They don't really see that through that disruption, so many amazing things happen like overnight. Things that you couldn't believe. And how, how did that happen? It all came out of this, well, a ne necessary happening, right? Even COVID. Mm. But um, it's not a bad thing. I don't think it's a bad thing. Mm. It makes me think of um, a TED talk that I watched recently by Rocio Lorenzo. And I think when people sometimes think about diversity in workplaces, they consider it this some, some sort of abstract concept that diversity just somehow leads to a you know more productive or better workplace. But there's, you know, there's facts and figures out there, there's, there's data on the fact that a more diverse workplace in any field is more innovative, but also that a more innovative workplace encourages more diverse workers to be involved. And so whether it be different ways of communicating, different ways of thinking that are being introduced, it's sort of this positive feedback loop that's only going to be better. And so even if you're thinking at it from purely a, a business perspective and removing, you know, all, all of the wonderful things that come along with that um, diversity in any workplace just makes sense, doesn't it? It does. I, I totally, I believe, I subscribe to that. Very well put. Yes, it's very well put. And I, uh, I was just listening to the two of you then and number one, thinking, oh, my God, Saray, you sound so much like me. I just, I love the messy. I love the I love the diversity. I love the, Cam will tell you, I'm very good at messy. I, I'm really good at messy. <laughs> without, um, trying. <laughs> without trying. Without trying. If someone else can't 
you can't handle it just say that's your problem <laughs> sort of but yeah uh <laughs> but it, it's it creates so much innovation but also cam like that's what you're sort of talking about there that it's it's almost like a uh, an eastern tower in terms of the it becomes a self sort of perpetuating thing and there's not an end or a beginning to it it is it mm. is a thing in and of itself um uh, and we can't just start i don't think we can just start and go oh this is the beginning of our diversity journey and we'll end it just here when mm. we have x number of asian women sort of uh, you know directors of the board or you know sort of why number of aboriginal veterinarians sort of doing sort of whatever um that's that's not i don't think that's where it's sort of fair. it's it's not a limited thing like this it, it creates its own unlimitedness and, uh, and sort of and turns into something else that hopefully creates a better world and, and a better mm. better place for, oh it definitely will yeah. i'm hopeful yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely um so we are sort of getting towards hitting towards our time we've sort of we've covered so much and i'm this conversation has been an incredible uh for me has been a really lovely sort of dive into the philosophy of being a veterinarian and the philosophy of which is the which is also like a philosophy of life of like of how are we sort of going about our life and and trying to untangle the two i'm not sure necessarily is in i don't know if we should be doing that like sort of uh, I, I really don't I, I do think that they um uh, if we try and untangle them that's where we're going to come up with sort of challenges and <laughs> problems but um bets are here I, to save the world if you believe that then we do have a mission and we should show mm, how this kind of embracing all of this is the way of the future i love that Betsy here to save the world. We can save the world. I mean, we're probably the best of all of the professions at dealing with messy. Like, <laughs> really? really? Yeah. Like, we're yes. not sort of, uh, we're not engineers. We don't construct everything around ourselves. We're not lawyers who sort of construct a legal sort of social system around ourselves. Um, uh, and we sort of, uh, and we deal with a, a lot more messiness to a certain extent than doctors tend to. Um, uh, sort of, we roll uh, with the punches. Mm, yeah, and so we're we can. very resourceful. Yeah, absolutely, incredibly resourceful. So we normally finish off our episodes uh, with a magic pill question, uh, and I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to any of our um, uh, any of our episodes uh, yet, Sraya. But we normally ask a magic pill question of a what if sort of uh, you take the magic pill and, and sort of uh, uh, and a what if, but there's consequences of the what if. Uh, uh -oh. So, yeah, yeah, no, it's sort of, it's, uh, um, and we spring this one on every guest, don't worry, it's sort of, uh, we never prep them for this one because, partly because I've not even usually made the question up at the time. <laughs> That's sort of, uh, and sort of partly because I, I think it gives you a chance to really just, it gives us all a chance to sort of answer without sort of without thinking and sort of see what actually does um does come out if you had the magic pill okay we might change a little bit if you had the magic pill the magic pill was a time 
travel device that you could go back and see your, let's say your 25-year-old self um, uh, and tell them things. What would you go back? Would you go back and tell them knowing that the, telling them something could change the journey and potentially change you from who you are? Mm. Yeah. No, it would not. I, I, can I say that I wouldn't take the pill? Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's a, absolutely. Because it will, I, everything that's happened happened exactly the way that it should and unfolding now. Granted, I probably, at first I was thinking, well, that would have shortened that time period because it would help me not to have to go through all that strife and then I finally come to this point. But now I really feel that all this has led up to my life to a certain point that is just the way it's supposed to. I um, And if, if you don't mind, I'll allude, I'll, I'll explain a little bit about um, what I really see that how a life unfolding to this point and what I feel that would be necessary to be done. And it might be something worthwhile for a lot of our audience to, to think about too for their, their own life. And it doesn't matter, you don't have to be 61, you can be any age because everybody is in a certain position for a reason. And um, for the if we're going to ensure our future, and I'm talking because I am very hopeful. My niece is um, started a social enterprise at 26 in on gender equality. My my nephew is a partner in a plastic waste upcycling company. So I I know that our next generation is already planning all of this. The important thing is that. Um, Everybody who is at this stage or any position in life, sit down. <laughs> ensure, ensure that we allow a chance for that young generation to grow, be inclusive, and respect diversity because that's the only way for the future. We all, we all really, really have to be that possibility. So that would be my final say in all of this. Whatever you are, just be that possibility. That's it. I genuinely want to finish this episode there because I, <laughs> um, that's, that's just gorgeous. I would like to thank you so much, Soraya, because this has been a wonderful, wonderful chat and I've genuinely... I uh, really enjoyed it, uh, and I hope our listeners do too. Uh, I think there is so much in this episode, in this what we've talked about here. Uh, I'm going to go back, and this is going to take me forever to edit because I'm going to have to go back and listen to this so many times because every time I'm going, oh, my goodness, there is something else there. Um, yeah, so, um, but. So, you said that you, you might. You said that you might um, zonk off, but you didn't. I'm so I, happy. <laughs> I did not. Such I good didn't. stuff to listen to. It was amazing <laughs> stuff to listen to. And, it, and I think sort of it was, and, yeah, it's it's sort of uh, I, I've 
been in a very messy place the last week, listeners, sort of uh, for various reasons that we'll sort of uh, eventually we'll sort of talk about. So that's not for today. Um, uh, but just listening to you, Soraya, has been an incredible balm for my for my soul and my heart. Mm. So uh, it's um, it's been wonderful. So thank you, thank you for this privilege, really. Oh, it, it has been been ours, been absolutely. Been <laughs> ours. So, um, so I would like to say thank you again, Soraya, and uh, and goodbye to our listeners for now. And we will uh, meet you again when we come with another episode. Uh, so, Cam, uh, we'll sort of. Say goodbye to the listeners and give Soraya yeah. the last. I want to give Soraya the last word to say goodbye last. <laughs> what I'll say is, สวัสดีค่ะ. Bye bye, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>